We're in Titus this morning. Three short chapters, Titus chapter 1. This is the last of the pastoral epistles. Um, And the first point, we have four points, one today and three next Sunday. So the one today is the greeting. Um, And here's the thing, as you're turning there, just when things are in order, it's so much better. It's so much better when things are in order rather than chaos. Thankfully, God is a God of decency and order, we know. And when things are chaotic, then comes strife and confusion, stress. Um, I was at a a pastor and leaders conference this past week in uh, in Georgia, and I, I spoke at length to this guy who basically helped to coordinate missionaries being uh, saved from Afghanistan. And I was glad he was there. He gave us an update, and I talked to him for like an hour because I'm like, just keep talking. This is great. This is awesome, you know, and amazing. And and he knew one of the pilots before any of them were rescued. He knew one of the pilots flying there, and the pilot and the pastor like they were friends because they were both in the service together. Uh, and the pastor said to him, he's like, hey, man, are there, are, there's a bunch of Christian missionaries in Afghanistan stranded right now. Uh, do you have any empty seats for them? And the pilot answered, there are as many empty seats as you need. How many do you need? And so he, all the, one, the missionaries that wanted to uh, come back and be saved and get out of there were able to get out of there. And, and, and I love that. And you know, the crazy thing is that uh, one of the guys we were praying for who, who got out of there, he said, there's 22 missionaries still there, and they don't want to come back. They don't want to leave. They're like, we're here to represent Jesus to everyone here. And, and just the reality of it, they're saying they're, they're probably going to be martyred. But they want to stay there as long as they can to spread the gospel and to get the word out. And I love that. I love that. But in order for this rescue to happen, it needed to be organized under the radar rescue mission. It, that needed to happen in order to save the people. There was order. Because there was order, rescue happened. And so God is a God of order. He orders his church in such a way that people are drawn to him, right? And it's like we just studied First and Second Timothy, and we learned very clearly the order that God has for the local church. And as we study this short pastoral letter called Titus, we'll see some reassuring themes in regards to this. You know, Paul, Paul, always the encourager and exhorter, he would give... Um, Timothy and Titus exhortations on what to do and how to do it when it came to pastoring and church order, how things should work. And some people are just natural instructors. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're just a natural instructor. You don't even realize it, but all of a sudden you're teaching. You're like, wait, I just told you everything about that, you know? And so it reminds me of our oldest daughter, Hannah. Depending on who you are, people either say she's, uh, she's bossy or she likes to teach people stuff. And so as her dad, I like to think of the latter. Um, but like she will try and tell me, you know, how to do something. I already know how to do it. Like, mind you, I already know how to do it. You know, I've had 43 years of experience. I, I know how to do this. But, but I, I'll let her tell me the whole thing. I'm not going to be like, wait, wait, stop. I don't want you to teach. Like, because she just wants, she has that instruction, you know, mentality. And she wants to teach. She wants to help. Paul was, I believe, he was like a natural instructor. And I think this is what people want. You know, they want clear, orderly instructions that make sense, so there's no confusion. And Paul wrote clearly and simply to instruct and exhort young Titus. So I just want to dig into the book of Titus this morning. Um, Again, only three chapters, yet full of insight. And uh, let's start with who Titus was. Well, there's not tons known about Titus. He is mentioned in Corinthians, and we learn the most about him from this letter Paul wrote to him. 
Uh, just like Timothy, Titus was saved through the Apostle Paul's ministry, and Paul called Titus his beloved son. So Paul wrote this letter to Titus about the same time he wrote the first letter to Timothy. Titus and 1 Timothy, they're somewhat similar in that they address the necessity, again, of order in the local church. So while Timothy was doing work for the Lord in Ephesus, Titus was ministering his heart out in the island of Crete. A Greek believer, Titus assisted or helped Paul in serving and supporting him in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, he is mentioned a handful of times as well. So what we're going to observe and gather from this letter to Titus is that, A, those in Crete were not the easiest congregants or believers to work with. And you ever just, you ever have to work with, don't answer out loud or say names, please, but you, but you ever have to work with someone who's just disagreeable, you know, it's hard to kind of, it's hard to listen to them and to, and to do what they say, it's just like your characters are just different, you know, it happens. Well, Titus would have to deal with, with a lot of, uh, with a lot as a pastor in Crete, because guess what? Not everyone would agree with him. And many would actually come against. So Paul would encourage this young man on how to deal with those who were difficult, right? And um, the second thing is, Titus was discouraged about the difficulty, so Paul would encourage him. And who needs encouragement from other believers? Everyone, every single Christian needs encouragement. We need it, unconditional encouragement. Not, you know what, I'm not going to encourage them because I might get kind of prideful, so I'm not going to say anything. Actually, I'm going to give them a little discouragement so they humble themselves. No, we want to we encourage, right, unconditionally. Um, why? Because often the world can be, oftentimes, the world can be discouraging. And the enemy likes to infiltrate our minds with more discouragement and feed that discouragement. And uh, we're all called to encourage one another because we all go through storms in this life. We all face things. No one's exempt from trials. No one can stay out of the rain forever, if you will. So as Christians, we take turns like holding, if you will, holding the umbrella for each other. And, and we had a men's gathering Saturday, and that's exactly what we do. Right? It was encouraging just to hear one of the guy's testimonies. We ate together, we connected, we did some axe throwing, of course, you know, um, and so it was just good, it was good to connect, right, and encur that's encouraging just to be with one another, uh, and the third thing is Titus wasn't timid like Timothy was, right, he had a different demeanor, different character. Timothy needed encouragement to be courageous and not quiet, but Titus, he was not timid, so he didn't need that encouragement, but he had other areas that he needed encouragement in. Once you know someone, you know their weaknesses, so you have the opportunity, right, to encourage them in those areas instead of judging them for their weaknesses. As believers, we're called to know each other's weaknesses, share them, be vulnerable, and then lift each other up. Let God be your strength in that situation. But Paul and Titus were in Crete together at one time ministering, and really, Paul left Titus there. He didn't abandon him. He, just, he left him there to correct some errors that were actually occurring in the city in relation to the faith. Like if you ever had a job where you did quality control, you had to make sure everything was correct. That's what, that's what your job is. You have to do it. You can't just be, ah, oh, that's good enough. You, there has to be like exactly how the company wants it. You have to make sure there are no errors. And if things are messed up, you had to fix them or get them fixed. And as we go through Titus, we'll see that Titus had trouble. He had trouble with groups in the church who needed to be discipled and taught and corrected and helped, right, exhorted. He did not have many qualified leaders, so Paul lays out some instructions in these things. And one group that Titus had to deal with and pray for wisdom for were those who mixed the Jewish law with God's grace. 
Now, this sounds good, right? Like we, we should keep God's commandments and understand his grace. That sounds good, but there's more to the story. Like the issue was that some of the Gentile believers actually used grace as permission to transgress and sin. So essentially, Titus, not being timid like Timothy, was having a hard time with those who were leading people astray, and he needed a couple things. Titus needed a couple things. <laughs> In dealing with people, this is a good general biblical like, uh, statement as well. We need a couple things, patience and love. But the cool thing is Titus stuck with leading the people and running the ministry in Crete. He didn't run away when things got difficult. right? He didn't run away from the fire. He ran into the house and helped the people to safety. It's kind of like this. I just learned this last week at that leaders' conference. But as, as a firefighter, one of the mottos they live by is people first, property second. People first. We're going to whatever about the house or the building. We're going to, are there any people in there? We're going in for them. We're going to go save them. And in a real sense, like a pastor's job isn't to save the property, it's to rescue the people, Amen. right? Church isn't about this building. We're blessed by this place we get to meet. It's not about this, though. It's about people. The church isn't a, you know, a physical building or a house. It's you and, you and I, you and me. I don't know which one is it, Todd. You and I. You're even... Okay, you and I. <laughs> That's one of his pet peeves, you and I. Um, but so Titus, he didn't throw in the towel because the going got tough. Instead, he doubled down and he stayed in Crete to minister. You know, so many of us, we go through difficulties, and sometimes it's God-led, I'm just, I'm not saying, but sometimes we go through difficulties, we're like, ah, it's too hard, forget it, you know? And that's why my prayer is for the next generation, you know, because we're, we're a society where it's like, oh, this isn't working, I'm leaving. Oh, this is, I don't like this job, I'm going to quit. Oh, my boss told me something I don't want to do, forget it, I'm out of here. Right? We just want to give up. But, but Titus had perseverance. He had, cur- you know, he had courage. He had strength. He's like, you know what? I'm going to stay here. I'm going to finish my race well. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into the scripture. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We just thank you for this opportunity and this time to gather together freely in your name. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us from your word, that it would be applicable as a church and also uh, individually. Meet us where we're at, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus chapter 1, verse 1 says... Paul writes, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the greeting. So here is the preface to this epistle or this letter. Paul starts out with his common, like, Pauline greeting, right? His name. Now, Paul was a Gentile name taken by the apostle of the Gentiles. What do I mean? Well, Acts 13.9 says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him. So Paul changed his name so as to be a better minister to the Gentiles, right? Paul's name change partly had to do with identifying with the Gentiles that Paul was reaching out to. Maybe this can be seen as a small sacrifice in order to reach people, but I don't believe it's small to God. You know, it begins with, you know, begs the question like, okay, what would I change for the Lord? What does he want me to change? What does he want? Like if God asked you to move to another state because he wanted to use you there, would you go? 
If God asked you to get a certain job in order to not just make money, but to minister, would you? If God asked you to learn a different language so you can minister in another country, would you? It's the question, what would you do for God? There are those who live by the motto, I'll do the minimum. You know? and, and if you're a boss at a job, you know you, those people don't stay around that long, right? Unless your job is to do nothing, then you'll, you know, you, they'll get a promotion. But some people just want to do the minimum, right? They, go, they will go to church, but never get too close to anyone. They will share what happened at work, but never get personal with anyone. They will open the Bible, but only on Sundays. They will pray to receive Christ, but never truly live for him. So on the other hand, those who have a heart for God will do whatever God leads them to do. It doesn't matter. Lord, send me. If you want me to, like Isaiah, whatever you want me to do. I don't know all the details, but you're calling me here. I'm going to go there. You're calling me to do this. I'm going to do this. See, when the, Jewish, when the Jewish kept rejecting the gospel from Paul uh, and the Gentiles actually received it, the name Saul is not ever mentioned again. Saul was his Jewish name. But from then on, we hear the name Paul, which was his Roman name. And I love that. How deep is our willingness to allow God to change things in our lives? Sure, it might be a name, just a name, but still, even those small God-led changes can help further the truth and lead to other changed hearts. Look at what Paul identifies himself as. Does he say, I'm the man of God? No. Does he say, I'm the epic Christian minister? People know about me. No. The radical believer who's not afraid, right? The most religious guy around. No. Paul self-identified as a bondservant. A bondservant, meaning a willing servant of Jesus Christ. So in a general sense, though, I mean, we're, we're all servants of the Lord. Paul, but Paul specifically is declaring he is a servant and a minister of Christ. Paul is described as an apostle of Christ, one who has seen the Lord and was immediately called and commissioned by him and gets his doctrine from him. Think about this for a minute, because like, we have to get this clear really in the church. The highest office in the church is a servant. That's the highest office in the church. It's not a pastor. You know, it's not a worship leader. It's not an elder. The highest office in the church is a servant. This view is pretty backwards from the world's point of view. World, you know, worldly people want to run things, want to be in charge, want to tell others what to do, want to make sure everyone knows that they did a good job and that they're running things. You know, worldly people want to be seen. They want to be the ruler and others to be their peasants, you know, just do what I say, be quiet. The worldly want to be in charge, have the status, have the power, be in control. Yet the heart of Christ, a Christ follower, is about humility, not pride. Sure, leadership is a calling, it's important, but the heart is the main thing, right? Jesus demonstrated how to live with a humble heart and a focus on serving others. He even said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And gave my life as ransom for many. I, I didn't come to be served, to be seen. He wanted to point people to the Lord. He was an example. Jesus demonstrated how to live that out. Washing feet is the lowest thing that a, a, a slave in that day could do. And that's exactly what Jesus did in the upper room to each one of his disciples before he went to the cross. He said, do this. <laughs> like, do what I'm doing, basically. He said, do this as an I'm doing this as an example for you guys. He says, according, Paul writes, according to the faith of God's elect. Now, Paul was elected by God 
and led by the word of God to share. Now, the elect are those who trust Christ as their Savior. If you are saved, you were chosen before the foundations of the world, which is mind-blowing. 1 Peter 1-2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, the truth which is according to godliness. So notice, too, faith is the first principle of sanctification. Faith is saying yes to God. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in your faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in the word of truth. I love Colossians 1.5. It says, For the hope which has laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So divine faith rests on the infallible word of God, which leads to godliness. The word godliness is important here as well. Godliness actually means of a godly nature or tendency. It means purifying the heart of a believer. See, the the truth of the gospel changes a life from ungodliness to set-apart living. There were people in Crete who professed to be believers, but their lives were not demonstrating like holy living. You can say one thing, but are you living the same way? Or are you saying, do what I say, not what I do? Our words and our actions are equally important in order for our light to shine in this world. And Paul goes on in verse 2, and and this is the intent of the gospel in verse 2. The faith and godliness of believers lead to eternal life and give hope for the expectation of it. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a comfort that God cannot lie. It may sound weird with our human intellect, but there are things that God cannot do. Just to get a little theological, God cannot do things that are contrary to his nature. Like he cannot create a rock that is too heavy for him to pick up. You know, people have those questions you talk about. Uh, He cannot commune with darkness. He cannot lie or deceive. It's a comfort knowing this truth, that everything God has said is true. All of his promises were not false. He's not going to break promises he's given to you. They will all come to pass. God will never steer you wrong or try and trick you into going the wrong way or doing the wrong thing. He is there to lead you, help you, bring clarity to you. Paul was reminding, you know, Titus of these things so as to give him comfort in Christ and confidence in the Lord, to build trust in him, not to become a skeptical, uh, not committed, non-committal Christian, but to be bold, to truly live for what matters, to live out the faith that God has given. And I love it. It says, manifest his word through preaching. People hear the truth by the sharing of the truth, you know, from those who believe the truth. And so that's us, (laughs) right? That's us. That's what we get to do. We've been, we've been talking a lot about that lately as we're uh, in, in Exodus in, in midweek and uh, the pastoral epistles in uh, Sundays, but Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? It doesn't say faith comes by hearing and hearing by experience. Like it's about your experiences. It's about your feelings. No, it's not. It's about the word of God. Faith increases when we open God's word and let it get into our minds and our hearts, Right, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul wrote, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And I love one commentator. He said, non-preaching ministers are not successors of the apostles. In other words, pastors and ministers are called to proclaim what God said. That's what they're to focus on. In context, Paul's speaking of ministers since he's writing to Titus. But as we've seen over and over again, 
The sharing of the truth is for every believer to do one way or another. And he said, Paul says this, which was committed to me. He had a responsibility. Paul understood he was given the truth, and it, it was his responsibility to relay it. What an awesome responsibility that is that we have. Do we take the sharing of God's word seriously, or do we make excuses as to why we don't say anything about what matters in life? God has committed the gospel to Paul and to Titus and to every Christian who's active for the kingdom of God, right? It says, according to the commandment of God. This sentence doesn't mean the word of God. It means the content, uh, the content of the message, the, the meaning, right? This, this ministry was given to Paul by God and Titus by God as well. And the term, the term Savior is often repeated in Titus. Why? Because a Savior is what sinners need. Like, we're not afraid to say, when someone says, hey, Jesus is your crutch. Heck yeah, he is. <laughs> We're not afraid of that. Yeah, he's my crutch. He's my gurney. He's my ambulance. He's my surgeon. He's, he is totally. You're right. And, and you know, that's, that's the truth. Because that's how to live a life that serves the Lord, that, that, that is humble, instead of being like, oh, I'm good. Because people get wrong impressions. A lot of Christianity is correcting people's preconceived ideas about what it is. Oh, you think you're holier than thou. Actually, no, I think I'm the chief of sinners. You know, And so it oftentimes it's correcting people's viewpoint based on what they've learned in the past or what they were jaded from. But it's fine. We need to, I, think, I think that's where patience and love comes in because it's like I really need to stay here and talk to this, this person who is thinking all these things that are totally not even biblical, you know? But a savior is what sinners need. There was trouble. The people were disorderly and being, you know, deceived. And, and they didn't need a band-aid. They needed surgery. They didn't need a temporary fix. They needed a savior. Because guess what? They were sinners. You know, no one will accept Christ if they think they're already ultra good and epically amazing, you know. Preaching love all day is great, but you can't leave out sin and repentance. Truth without love is unbalanced. Love without truth is ambiguous. People don't think they need Jesus if they think they're already a good person. But the reality is everyone needs Jesus. Everyone does. Even the person that is not saved, but man, they're like nicer than you. You know what I'm talking about? Like the people that are like, you just have to, man, you have to do a quick prayer right now and you're good. You don't even have to change anything. You're like, you're such a good moral person, you know? But, but yet, without Jesus... They're not headed to heaven. They're not having that communion and that blessing of walking with the Lord on this earth and being effective to impact eternity, which is what matters in this life. Their soul isn't saved. Like. So he says, after a common faith. Like if you study the word common here, it means to live in common, like to, to, or to have in common, to have in common. You know, simple, literal. The faith is practiced by all believers. There's one body of truth followed and practiced in the church that we all adhere to. You know, there, there's one body of truth. Any retreat from this common faith is not true teaching, it's false teaching, and is not tolerated, you know, by God's truth. <laughs> we measure everything by the word of God, kind of like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Tolerance, it's, it's, it's come to mean something totally different and, again, ambiguous and just tolerance is not taught in the Bible, but let me qualify it, because it's like, that sounds mean, but um, what's taught in the Bible, love is, God is love, kindness, sharing truth, tolerance has come to mean just accept all beliefs no matter what they are, 
Respect all beliefs, even if they're wrong, ungodly, and totally off, perverted doctrine. No, I'm not going to, how do I say this? <laughs> I'm not going to agree with a viewpoint that is not biblical, just to make the person you know, feel good and not stir the waters, if you will. You know, um, if it's not biblical, I'm not going to follow it. You know what I'm saying? Like as believers, that's what we that's what we do. We want to follow God's word and God's truth. And why can't you just respect my belief because it's not biblical? Because it's totally off. And ah, but love and patience. <laughs> when you come into contact with people and you have those conversations, to know someone is deceived and walking in lies, and say nothing is is we have to say something. We, saying nothing sometimes is is saying we're agreeing with it, right? I'm not going to accept an untruth just to be tolerant, you know? A common faith means a faith where we have the same canon of Scripture, the same blueprint, the same tenets of the faith, the same truth, right? These, you know, the, these first four verses really trace back to the fact that Paul weighed everything out. He weighed everything out by his opinion. No, he weighed everything out by politics. He weighed everything out by what's going on in the world. No, he weighed everything out by the Word of God. And he wanted Titus to make God's word a priority in his ministry. Like, this is what it's about. This is how we know what to do. This is how we know the heart of God. All the pastoral letters emphasize teaching God's word. One commentator said this, the local church should be a Bible school where the word of God is taught in a systematic way. God's word is the source of spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. You know, I, when I was... Uh, when I, way back in the day, you know, when I was searching for truth, you know, Buddhism, I was like, no, I tried that. And I tried different things, you know, and I was like, maybe Christianity. My dad had taken me to church at one point, and so I was like, I guess I'll go. Now I know it's called, like, church shopping, right? And, and I went to a, a church which remained nameless in L.A. You know, we lived in, in Los Angeles. It was kind of like downtown, and it was big, and it was, like, epic in there, and it was, like, it was, there was, like, loud, and it was, like, a concert. I was like, am I in the right place? Like, is this a concert, uh, or is this... But it was, it was very powerful. You, you felt something, but it, it wasn't the Lord. Like, there were skits, and there was all these different things to try to entertain, you know? But I'm like, I left there kind of maybe, like, on an emotional high, I guess, but I, I was like, but I want to know the Lord more. I want to know what He wants me to do. I want to know the purpose of life. I want to know what it's all about. And so then I went to this, <laughs> to this, you know, small, like, rinky-dink church, right, that it was just, like, nothing flashy, nothing, you know, no lights, nothing, just like it was in a, in a gym, you know, didn't have a, a air conditioning or anything, and it was just these really hard seats that folded down, there were wood seats, no cushions or anything, and, um, but they just, you know, played worship, and uh, I was like, wow, and then they taught, taught the Bible, and I was like, Oh my goodness. I, I felt like I just was just refreshed and filled. And I was like, this is what I want. <laughs> I just want to grow. I want to get to know the Lord. I want to learn how to walk with Him. I want to learn how to pray to Him. I want to learn what life is about, what my purpose and calling is. And it's like, I never left there. I mean, that's the, the church we came from before we moved here. I'm like, this, this is all I want. I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to see what God has for me. So God's word is the source of spiritual growth and maturity. So, you know, Paul's telling Titus, like, stay on the word, stay in the word. This is what it's about. And then verse 4, so it's thought that Titus was an associate and worked with Paul 
during the time of the book of Acts, although Titus isn't mentioned there in the book of Acts yet, Titus is mentioned in 2 Corinthians quite a few times, and it has been suggested by looking at 2 Corinthians that Titus could have been Luke's brother. Passages here say that Titus was sent to Corinth with a brother, described as famous among all the churches. We do know about the personality of Titus a bit, and a bit about his character from these passages. We know Titus was a spiritual son to Paul, right? We know that Titus was a partner and a fellow worker with Paul. We know Titus walked in the same spirit as Paul, Corinthians says. We know that Titus walked in the same steps as Paul or in the same way of living. So the conclusion to all of this is that Titus could be an example to other believers. <clears throat> in Titus 2.7, it says, showing yourself a pattern of good works and doctrine. Showing yourself a pattern of good works and doctrine. What we gather is that when, we tough thing, you know, when tough things had to be done, Paul could count on Titus to do them. He was a good example. He wasn't a perfect example. None of us are called to be perfect because no one is, right? Except Christ. So, but he was called to have a pattern of good works and doctrine. To live out what he believed. To talk about what he believed. When the offerings had to be made at Corinth on behalf of the saints of Jerusalem, Paul sent Titus to deal with it. And I love what Paul calls Titus here. A true son in our common faith. Paul and Titus saw things the same way because they believed the same body of truth, which is the canon that we call Scripture. And you got to love the end, these three words, grace, mercy, and peace. So this was a, a fairly common greeting in the ancient world, but we know Paul's story, right? We know he gave his testimony a few times in Acts. We know where he came from. We know what he was like before he got saved. So we know that Paul totally understood the grace of God. You know, he would drag men and women, Christians, out of their homes. He uh, consented to the death of Stephen, and uh, he was on his Damascus road with a list of Christians that he was going to kick out and persecute when Jesus showed up. And how many of us know when Jesus showed up, nothing remains the same, we're, we're changed, God works, especially as Paul often reflected upon his past before the Damascus road, his encounter with Jesus, like he, I really, he understood God's grace. He was a legalist Christian hater. So these weren't just words for a greeting. I believe they were words that Paul personally understood. Like, you can know a lot in the Bible, but until you go through it, you can know, yeah, grace. Like, man, I remember when I first started teaching, uh, horribly teaching, I was a horrible teacher to the junior high. I don't know, they didn't have anyone else, so they asked me. So, but I was teaching the junior high, and I was talking about grace and all this stuff. But then, uh, but then when I messed up, and then I repented, and then I realized, the, really, the grace of God, like, I went through that, I'm like, now I really get it. It's not just a word on onion skin paper, but it's actually a truth in my life. You know, I should have been taken out, but God's grace. I shouldn't have been saved, but God's grace, you know. It's amazing. Grace is undeserved favor, getting good things that we don't, that we don't earn. Mercy is not getting what one deserves, bad things withheld by God because of his heart towards his children. And peace, what Paul had in his heart now that he was living for Jesus, that he want, wanted Titus to have. Grace, mercy, and peace. It's amazing. Mercies are new every morning. Don't condemn yourself. You know, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation in Christ. Maybe you did something horrible in the past and you're still beating yourself up about it, even though you repented. We know what? God puts, throws that behind him, like in Isaiah chapter 30, and, and he doesn't bring it up anymore. 
And it's like God can't forget, okay, theologically again. God can't forget, but what he does, that, that saying there in Isaiah, is he takes your sin and puts it behind him never to go fish it back up and use it against you. Now, people will, you know, and that's not good either. That's a different story. But God doesn't take it back and go, look what you did, you know. Grace, mercy, and peace. His mercies are new every morning. And the last part of cha- uh, verse 4, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Son has brought a salvation from the Father, and the Father has given salvation through the Son. The Father and the Son share in the gift of salvation. It's mind-blowing, amazing. Grace, mercy, and peace come from the Lord Jesus. Man, what a gift. What a blessing. And what a Savior we have. Amen?